Hello and welcome to this SDF podcast hosted by Grant Thornton. I'm Felicity Bowne and I'm part of the food and drink team here at Grant Thornton. If you're not familiar with us, we're a global business advisor with a specialism within the food and drink industry. We advise over 550 businesses in the sector across the UK, ranging from some of the smaller, faster growing brands, right up to the large multinational distributors, retailers and manufacturers. And we have a wonderful long-standing relationship with the FDF, so we're uh, delighted to be um, talking on this podcast today. The theme of this session is mergers and acquisitions and business financing opportunities for the food and drink sector. And I'm delighted to have three of my colleagues with me to join in this discussion. So firstly, I'm delighted to introduce Trevor Griffith, who is M&A partner and head of our food and drink team. Trevor has been leading Grant Thornton's F&B team for the last 10 years or so, and spends his time advising mid-sized food and drink companies and their shareholders on a range of corporate finance transactions, including M&A, company sales, MBOs, and fundraisings. Um, next, I'm pleased to welcome Chris McLean, who's a partner in our restructuring and debt advisory team. Chris works with listed and privately owned corporates and lenders to help them raise, refinance, and restructure their debt facilities. And he's worked with a range of businesses across the sector, ranging from vegetable producers to health and well-being businesses to pub groups. And last but not least, I'm pleased to introduce Sen Alagar, who's also a partner in our restructuring and debt advisory team. Sen has over 20 years experience working with management teams and lenders to deal with debt, uh, corporate debt matters, such as covenant waivers and amendments, new money requests or restructuring of debt. And over the past 12 months, Sen has been supporting lenders and management teams of food and drink businesses affected by the impact of the pandemic. So during the course of this podcast, we're going to talk to you about what we're seeing in the M&A and debt market at the moment, what we're hearing from the banks and the lender community, and to share some guidance and top tips on how to have productive conversations with your lenders and other stakeholders. So firstly, I'm going to turn to you, Trevor. So can you tell us uh, about uh, the M&A market at the moment within the food and drink sector and what key trends that you're seeing? Just to start with and to say that we um, we advise clients, large clients and, and smaller clients on uh, M&A uh, from right across the um, uh, right across the sector. And as you know, we track all of the deals that happen in the sector on a, on a quarterly basis and um and report on that so i've I, today i was going through the the most recent uh stats for that and, and really what that shows is consistent with the last quarter of 2020 is a significant rebound in activity uh, in m a activity ac- ac- across the sector and that's really been driven by a few different reasons firstly um, the I guess the recovery in transactional appetite after the the initial shocks of COVID twelve months or so ago, whereby deals which were in process kind of in most cases uh, ground to a halt and new processes didn't come to market as companies were both buy side and sell side very much focused on dealing with the um, the short term repercussions of of, of COVID nineteen. Um, secondly, um, there was a lot of concern around capital gains tax being increased in the um, in the budget in March, and that drove a lot of owner managers to try and uh, sell their businesses in advance of that. Uh, that didn't actually come through, but it did cause um, a significant uptick in 
transactional activity for uh, uh, quarter four and indeed quarter one of, of 2021. And then thirdly, uh, and quite importantly, actually, for you know, for four and a half years, we were trying to work out how to uh, exit the EU after the referendum vote. And, you know, that that I think really put a significant handbrake on M&A activity. There was still, you know, um, a healthy level, but we know that a number of overseas buyers, both Europe, North America, were concerned about what Brexit might mean and therefore, you know, didn't want to transact uh, and buy businesses in the UK. Uh, and of course, there were concerns from businesses as well around what the what the exit agreement would mean to their their performance. That's not 100% clear in terms of what it's going to mean going forward yet, but it's obviously more certain than it was previously. And that in itself has has kind of removed the handbrake to an extent and led to an increase uh, increase in activity. Uh, Trevor, on that point. Is some of that M&A activity you're seeing, is that companies looking to diversify their portfolios or are there other reasons for doing it? Yeah, I think there's, I mean, as always, there's a variety of, of reasons. I mean, if you look at the the big picture, Chris, then the the sector itself, and we've, we've done a couple of major reports for the Food and Drink Federation over the last 10 years, um, and the last of which, which was looking at the sector through a Brexit lens, what we went into quite a lot of detail around the makeup of the the sector and what that showed is that the the sector is very regional and, and much more regional and much more fragmented than most other manufacturing sectors which tend to be clustered in certain areas and so um, one of the drivers for um, M&A is consolidation and effectively taking cost out of the um, out of the supply chain as both input costs go up um, it costs more to import food. It costs more in terms of wages, um, electricity, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and the the consumer doesn't necessarily want to pay more for their product. The the supermarkets are continuing to you know fight price wars, um, and that means that actually one of the only ways to take cost out of the supply chain is by consolidating businesses and, and doing it in that way. So that. That's that's one of the drivers. You've also then got the, as you said, there the, some of the larger corporates trying to work out what what does their portfolio of products um, need to look like for the next twenty years, rather than what it was twenty years ago. And you know, we all know, we all read the papers every day and hear about the new nutritional trends and and what consumers want to buy and what they want to eat, um, and that's driving you know a lot of activity in itself. Be be it the products itself in terms of sort of high protein, vegan, plant-based. So large corporates looking to move into more in vogue areas around sort of plant-based or what have you, but also looking at channels. So, you know, obviously D2C, direct-to-consumer has increased massively through lockdown, but it was on the rise anyway. So again, a lot of a lot of businesses in the sector are working out how they can get their product direct to consumers rather than through the traditional um, sort of retail route. One of the things I'd be interested in, in uh, understanding is, in terms of this M&A activity, um, the buyer population for this, wh- where is it Where is it coming from? Has the sort of overseas sort of buyer population been impacted by some of the uncertainties, um, do you think? 
So overseas buyers, as I, as I mentioned earlier, uh, um, based on the, the projects we're working on at the moment, um, seem to be much more keen on UK acquisitions post Brexit than they they were beforehand. Uh, you know, we've got um, a relatively wealthy and, and big consumer base in the UK, and you know, a lot of businesses want access to that if they don't already have that, both from Europe the US and, and sort of further afield. So so that's one driver. But but interestingly as well, Sen, you know, we've seen last quarter, so quarter one of 2021, has seen the, the highest number of PE deals uh, for quite some time in the sector. So we are seeing private equity activity. And that's kind of driven largely by two reasons. So one, the buy and build uh, activity, the consolidation activity I was mentioning earlier. And then secondly, looking again at those, what are those on-trend products? What's, what's, what are the large corporates going to want to buy and have in their portfolio in two, three, four years' time? And private equity looking to try and buy those sort of ahead of the curve, as it were, or help grow those businesses so that they're ready for ownership by a large corporate in, in three to five years' time. You mentioned that um, you're seeing a lot of appetite from private equity at the moment. Are the businesses getting value, do you see? So, so there's been a number of processes where private equity have actually outbid, um, uh, been able to outbid trade buyers, uh, and that's partly because of the, the 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 massive amount of private equity money that's that's out there. Um, and again, from a you know a consumer perspective, so if you if you're a private equity house looking to invest in the broader consumer space then you're much more limited now in terms of targets than you would have been you know, a year, 18 months ago, because there's probably not a lot in travel uh, at the moment, hospitality, casual dining, you know, those, those areas which have been in vogue in the past are, are kind of out of bounds um, a, 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 a bit at the moment, and therefore more, more money's going towards F&B. But equally, and I know Chris and Sam will come on to talk about this in a moment, um, the, the, the availability of debt to fund deals is also uh, advantageous to private equity and, and enables them to, you know, to, to pay very competitive and, and, and strong prices, as, as is their ability to do deals. You know, they're professional deal doers and some of the larger corporates in the food and beverage space have got in-house M&A capability and are very good and very able uh, to, to transact deals others less so and you know it is quite difficult to compete with somebody who's doing a significant number of deals a year and are set up to do that as private equity are just on the uh, the topic of value uh Trevor, i was i was um surprised to to see some of the multiples that were being attached to some of the recent deals you know the leon deal is quite high profile clearly but um i think it was rumored what 20 20 times EBITDA or something and i, I thought that was quite astonishing i was wondering if is that is that a one-off? Do you think, in terms of what's happening in the market? I think. I mean, I think we've seen some very strong valuations over the last um, over the last few years, and 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 largely that's driven by the ability to scale a business and, and for it to make a lot more money going forward than it than it has in the past. So, in the case of Leon, I think the from you know from what I've read, they there's um, significant opportunity to. Um, have much more points of sale, if you like, for for those products, um, and that will, you know, enable it to be significantly bigger in a year, two years' time than it is right now. So, 
uh, you know that that in itself will drive will drive a strong value, and that's the same for other businesses. You know, I mean, you saw the grenade deal happen quite recently. Again, you know, Mondelez's route to market is is very very significant, uh, and its distribution is very very significant. So, um, get them getting behind that brand is is going to make make it help make it considerably bigger than it than it is, even though it's obviously grown incredibly well under its previous ownership. I'm going to come to you now, Chris. Could you give us a bit of a flavour of what you're hearing from the lender community and maybe pull out some of the themes from the debt market more generally? Trevor has spoken there just about the buoyant M&A market that we're seeing. We're definitely seeing that reflected in the debt markets as well. And going back before COVID, and still the case today, as we begin to emerge to some extent, there's still a glut of supply of capital and credit available to companies and particularly companies in this sector as well. There are probably three different buckets of lenders that I would say are helping to drive that activity. I'd say the first bucket is probably bank lenders, so the usual high street banks who we'll all be very familiar with. The second bucket who we're seeing being active in this space as well is other banks such as challenger banks and international banks. And then the third bucket, and, and this is really powering the M&A market within the private equity arena, is non-bank lenders. So unitranche providers or debt funds, which we read about, extremely active in this sector at the moment. A lot of appetite for this sector. And it's a relatively opaque part of the market for people who aren't familiar with it. But it's certainly becoming a lot more mainstream and certainly something for any companies listening to this to be aware of. So really, it's that availability of capital that is helping to drive some of the activity. As Trevor mentioned, it's giving PE access to even more capital. And so there's definitely an aspect of very robust financing markets in the debt market driving some of this M&A activity. Now, within that, it's not every company who's benefiting from that or every subsector. Um, lenders are even more discerning on their diligence than they ever were, obviously given what's happened during to COVID. There's a real focus on who the end customer is. So is it, is it an online business? Is it food service? Is it supermarkets or is it direct to consumer? And then likewise within that, there's been a lot of um, a lot of focus and popularity within the kind of speciality, the kind of smaller niche brands might be attractive to a larger buyer or there might be a rollout strategy, a chance to really boost and increase the growth prospects that's been very attractive to private equity. What I think we're actually seeing though, given where we are, is for the better companies, those with a particularly strong credit profile, they are accessing very borrower-friendly terms. And to some extent, it's as if COVID hasn't happened to them. It's still um, good availability in the debt markets, as I said, borrower-friendly terms and competitive terms, just as competitive, if not even more competitive to how we were pre-COVID. And so there is an element of those companies who are performing well, can access great types of capital. Um, but of course, not every company is in that situation at the moment as well. And are you seeing any differences between sponsor-backed companies and sponsor-less companies in accessing debt finance? Yeah, it's a good question, Felicity. And I think yes. So there's always been a slightly different approach to those two type of companies by the lender community. That was the case pre-COVID and we're still seeing it now. Um, generally, corporate companies, particularly those maybe in the mid-market or towards the smaller end of the market, um, 
can't access the same level of leverage compared to a private equity backed company who are typically able to access much higher levels of leverage and that more competitive pricing as well. Every situation will be a bit different, um, but it is important just to note that difference as well. I should also state as part of that, Felicity, it's not just M&A activity that we're seeing the debt markets being used for. There are other uses as well. So we're seeing refinancings and we're seeing new CapEx projects as well. So again, that availability is helping to fund organic growth as well, not just M&A activity. Sen, so building on what Chris has just taken us through, what guidance would you have for our listeners on how to approach conversations with their lenders? It's probably worth reflecting back in 2020 and how the discussions um, with lenders um, you know, were taking place then, you know, what sort of drivers before coming on to um, you know, how people might want to approach conversations this year. Um, and I think, as Trevor mentioned earlier on, um, the pandemic has definitely created opportunities and challenges. There's no doubt for those supplying into the, the grocers and the supermarkets, you know, it's, it's had a huge impact. So the kind of conversations those borrowers were, were having last year were very different, you know, probably in line with what Chris was saying um, about, you know, the availability of capital out there to, to fund growth um, and, and scaling up. Uh, but I think for those on the food service side and the supply chain into hospitality and leisure, you know, last year was was very difficult um, for those businesses. Their discussions with lenders were, were typically crisis conversations, you know, people looking at sort of immediate financing support, uh, looking at covenant um, amendments, you know, looking at debt obligations which needed to be waived um, or reset. And I think by and large last year, lenders were broadly supportive of those businesses. Um, I think there was an acknowledgement that what was happening was unforeseen. It was a shock, uh, you know, a shock event outside of management's control. Um, And lenders last year probably thought, you know, supporting businesses through that uh, was probably the best option. In fact, there were very few alternatives available to to lenders at that time. But I think coming into this year, I I think that split between those businesses that have taken advantage of the opportunities of the pandemic uh, versus those, you know, who found it quite challenging because they're supplying into that food service hospitality sector. I think that difference will really determine, you know, which way the conversations are taking place. So the former taking advantage of opportunities, I think, you know, they'll, you know, the things that Chris was saying, you know, will be very relevant for them uh, around the availability of capital. But for the, but for the those that are challenged, I think, I think the conversations this year, um, you know, need need to be approached. Uh, in a considered way. Um, and I think especially because, you know, people were planning to scale up production. Um, you know, if, if, if you spoke to people in uh, the autumn, you know, there was there was a general sort of confidence that, you know, through the tiering measures, you know, people were able to sort of scale up production and, and they thought actually call-offs uh, from their customers was going to come good. But when that third lockdown happened, you know, it was particularly damaging for those who scaled up you know, built up the working capital, and then suddenly, you know, there was a, they were left with uh, left with that inventory position or working capital position still there. So it's it's likely that business plans are probably going to be superseded. Management will want to revise expectations of when revenues are recovering, um, and and a key issue is is a certainty with which businesses have that visibility over future orders. So the kind of key requests that we see borrowers um, making to lenders uh, during the course of this year would be probably resetting of covenants that might have been reset already last year, uh, deferral of loan amortizations, 
an extension of facility maturities. And maybe in some cases, because liquidity um, that was provided last year has been used up, probably they're asking for some new money support from not just lenders, but all their external stakeholders. So the kind of key questions, I think, for 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 um, you know for, for borrowers is you know how will they approach those? How will lenders um, deal with those requests, and how will lenders approach them? Um, Chris talked about it earlier on. Lenders are much more informed. They're going to be really discerning. They're into the detail. You know they've seen these issues play out across the sector. They'll have seen situations right across their loan portfolio affecting a lot of food and drink uh, businesses. So they'll know what what sort of market practices, what what sort of best practices around you know the tools that management are using. But they'll want to understand more about the latest revised expectations of the management team. Uh, they'll be expecting a revised business plan, uh, a financial forecast uh, to accompany that request. Um, and of course. <laughs> We appreciate that no one has perfect foresight and you can't produce the perfect forecast, but they'll be expecting um, management to use the best available information just now to inform those business plans and the revisions that management are making. So kind of the kind of key questions um, lenders will want to understand is, you know, how is the business delivered on its self-help actions? You know, the kind of actions that would have informed the business plans that management had last year. Um, the cost saving plans or plans to diversify away from food service, they'll want to understand what's been achieved against those, what progress has been made, what's still to be achieved. Uh, they'll want to understand how the business is prepared for scaling up of production. So if, you know, if they have been using furlough and really sort of, um, you know, shut down uh, production lines, um, how is that going to be scaled up? What does it mean for working capital when it scales up? Have they got the people to deliver that inadequate time? Um, can they deal with the logistics of you know switching everything back up? They'll also want to clarify what does it mean for working capital and liquidity. Of course they will. You know, that's going to be a key focus in this. Um, so our, our strong recommendation to management is that well ahead of the request that you're going to make to lenders, try and gain the confidence of the lender ahead of that request. So the best way of doing that is to give the lender visibility on the delivery on these management action plans. So if you promised something last year, saying these are the actions we're going to do, um, ahead of the request you're going to make now, inform the lender cut the progress you've made. You know, even if that is an element of that business plan, you know, accentuate that. Talk them through what's been achieved. Talk them through the other plans you have for delivering um, in, 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 in the rest of this year. Um, we always recommend stress testing business plans and financial forecasts well ahead of presenting it to the lenders. It's something Chris and I see all the time, you know, really worthwhile doing that. Um, and, you know, when it's a really uh, onerous ask in terms of, you know, new money support, then, you know, it's really important that, you know, you've got that challenge already built in into, into, into your plan. Um, and from the lender's perspective, they'll want to know that, you know, if you're asking for new money, there's a kind of equitable sharing of that funding contribution. They'll want to understand that, you know, shareholders um, have been asked for potentially contributing into that. They'll want to understand why maybe shareholders are unable to provide any support. Um, and, and they'll want to make sure that management have exhausted other, other avenues for potentially self-help. So, for example, HMRC uh, and, and so on.
Um, but hopefully that gives you a flavour, uh, Felicity, of how and uh, how borrowers might want to approach those conversations. And then you mentioned that lenders were accommodative. Has that been across the board, and is that beginning to change as we progress through COVID? Uh, it's a good question, Chris. Um, I think I think last year it was probably uh, well across the board in terms of those mainstream clearing banks, in terms of uh, their supportive stance. Um, you know, not just from an economic perspective of not crystallising a credit loss, but I think also from a reputational perspective, people are supportive. Um, I think it's fair to say some of some of the uh, alternative lenders or credit funds um, were more focused on the economic uh, consequences of of their decision making. But even even uh, those players we saw being supportive. But I think it's fair to say their support was nuanced, so they were quite selective. Uh, selective in terms of the the extent of any uh, amendments or waivers they were providing. There was, in some cases, people wanting to sort of provide uh, a temporary waiver and then waiting uh, and waiting to see how things unraveled in terms of recovery uh, from the pandemic before providing long-term solutions. I think just just to add to the um, <clears throat> to the conversation, I'm not sure I, I I mentioned it in enough detail earlier that that the you know the sector. It needs to be said that the the sector is attractive to investors of, of all types. I mean, it's it's shown through the most difficult period in in recent history that it's been incredibly resilient. Uh, you know, incredibly resilient. And you know, some of the. I mean, clearly, some of the listeners probably are in businesses which have been more affected. And you know, out of home um, food service in particular, it's been it's been really really tough. But you know, generally, overall, it's been uh, incredible, really, the success of the sector through this period where everything's been sort of flying, Brexit, COVID and everything else. So, you know, that, I think, gives people, buyers, funders, the like, a lot of confidence. And already we're seeing lots of businesses and, and, and actually lots of investors looking for the future opportunities. So, you know, where do we go next? Where do we grow um, you know, again, in different parts of the uh, sector, there's going to be lots of opportunity to do that. So, um, you know, I think I think we we need to remember the the the, the sort of positive aspects of, um, of 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 things as well as some of the difficulties that uh, have been faced. Thanks, Trevor, and I think that's a wonderful note to end on of optimism and positivity. So, thank you so much, Trevor, Chris, and Sen. It's been a real pleasure to talk to you all today. And I imagine this um, discussion will have been really insightful for our listeners. So thank you. And to anyone listening, if you've got any questions or you'd like to pick up anything with us, then please do feel free to get in touch and we'd love to have a chat. And finally, thank you very much to the FDF for hosting this podcast and for your continued support and championing of the sector. Take care, everyone. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to this FDF podcast. FDF is the voice of the food and drink industry, supporting our members with the expertise to develop, grow and strengthen their business. To learn more about how we can help your business, contact us at members.inquiries at fdf.org.uk. There's no better time to become an FDF member.